Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman. It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. <laughs> you see what, I, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice. We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. Man, I love that movie. We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, The Women, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series. Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with the Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises. Some great listener choice picks, too. Viridiana and The Great Escape. And for our David Mamet Wright's series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. You've seen Ex Machina, right? No. Really? I, it's, I, it, I have no excuses. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's not, this is not a predestination. You should see it. But it's not a predestination kind of a relationship-defining film for us. Right. So it is quite good. I, I really uh, enjoyed it. But what was interesting to me is that I, you know, I, I had seen it when it came out and, and quite enjoyed it then, but I saw it by myself. And so I had never had the experience of watching it with anybody else. I watched it with my wife, who stopped watching uh, about a half hour before the end. It was too much. Hmm. Total tonal change in the film. She was like, I'm done. That was too much. I thought it was a, hey, we're going to make you think about AI, and it's going to be a really interesting kind of what-if robot movie, and this turned into something that I can't I can't watch anymore. Wow. Think about that. So I just want you to plant that in the back of your head, that we just we just watched that the other night, and uh, and it didn't, didn't go as well as I had expected it to. <laughs> well, it's been duly planted. Yeah, yeah. So you think about that. I want you to watch it with your uh, with your dear spouse over there, and you tell me if the same thing happens. All right. Surprise me. Really surprise me. Will do. You know, I saw a really interesting film. Let's talk about it. It's called The Hunter. Did you uh, hear about this movie at all? <laughs> Is that like uh, Human Centipede? It's not like Human Centipede. It's a. It's, Is it an it, older, older one or a newer one? 2011, not that old. So we're talking Willem Dafoe Hunter. Yes, and it's it was streaming, and so it's one of those ones that I'd kind of been curious about, and I watched it. Really interesting film. Willem Dafoe, Sam Neill. Uh, Willem Dafoe is this kind of mercenary hunter who's hired by this biotech company to go down to Tasmania and go through the wilderness to find the the supposed Tasmanian tiger, even though everybody thinks it's extinct. But they're thinking that if he can find it, they want its DNA because it has some, I can't remember what it is, some thing that they want to own. The golden ticket. In Right. In the DNA of the Tasmanian it's tiger. A that's where the golden ticket is. The tiger has the golden ticket. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Yep, and then and then he has all his little dancing orange Tasmanian yep. devils around him, kind of yeah, like Oompa right. Loompas. Well, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> this is good. I I think we're making a better movie. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, must be. <laughs> no, but it's really it was a really interesting film that uh, just kind of stuck with me. It's one of those kind of haunting films that uh, was definitely worth watching. So I would recommend that to our listeners. It's on the list. It's a shorty, a hundred minutes. Easy. Yeah, it's not too bad. All right. Not too bad. I'll watch it. You do that. Um uh, we we have sadly no follow up this week because we're we're as we've said to people before, we're recording these out of crazy order. Because right now, as you're listening to this, I'm on uh, vacation. Pretty excited about that. 
And I'm... <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Twiddling my thumbs, wishing Pete invited me on his fun vacations. Yep. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm sure it's. Uh, we're having a great time right I'm now. I'm sure you are. You By now, we're probably up. coming home. Probably getting ready to come home. We're just starting to pack up and think about, oh, vacation's over, cry. Hmm. Yeah, so... Should we tell the people where we're from, probably? Where are we from? Hey, everybody, this is The Next Real MP, writing that there is Andy Nelson. No, it's the artist formerly known as Andy <laughs> Nelson. <laughs> You're on it tonight. <laughs> and we spoil movies. Uh, tonight on the show, number two in our 2015 duo of guilty pleasures with my pick, Prince's 1986 disaster, Under the Cherry Moon. Uh, before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you weren't turned off by the movie selection this evening and you're still listening to this, you should probably head over to Instagram.com slash The Next Reel and play The Next Reel's Instagram, hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag Guess the Movie Challenge. And for that, we turn once again to Scotland, birthplace of ponies and quizzes, to the great Stephen Smart. Stephen! Hey guys, Stephen here. Long-time Guess the Movie player Alexander Curran nailed it on Image One this week. The movie was the excellent The One I Love from 2010, directed by Mark Romanek and starring Kira Knightley, Carrie Milligan and Andrew Garfield. So congrats Alexander Curran, you are entered once again to win the Pony Prize. As always, a new challenge starts Friday. So thanks, guys, and see you later. Andy, it's time. Let's do trailers. Mine is uh, this new film by James C. Strauss. I'm not quite uh, sure uh, who this James C. Strauss is. Uh, Directed Grace is Gone, The Winning Season, Lonesome Jim, one of the episodes of New York, I Love You, but it's his new film, Sundance uh, hit, People, Places, Things. And the reason that I desperately want to see this and uh, because uh, is because, if I can talk tonight, is because the fantastic <laughs> Kiwi, Jermaine Clement, is in it and just looks delightful. He just is one of those people that you watch in a trailer like this and go, I want him to be my best friend because he's just so great. But only for a little while because he's kind of a downer. <laughs> he's a bit of a downer, <laughs> yes. It, this looks like a really uh, touching comedy drama, one of those sorts of things. Um Jermaine Clement plays uh, Will Henry, a graphic novelist who is uh, who caught his wife uh, in flagrante delecto with, I believe it was a Broadway monologist, <laughs> is what he says. <laughs> off, off Broadway, off, off Broadway monologist, right? And uh, and they've got two young twin girls, uh, and so they of course divorce, and he's kind of half taking care of his kids, trying to figure out his life as a teacher and this graphic novelist. And it just, it's got this really touching vibe all the way through it. And and the comedy really rings true with the characters in the film. And I, you know, I just, I've watched it a couple times now and it just gets me every time. It just looks very sweet, very, um, very honest and very funny. 
So that's uh, people, places, things. I think so, too. He is just a charmer, although I can't help but get uh, his evil cockatiel uh, voice out of my head. I keep thinking he's going to break into song from Rio. <laughs> I love Jermaine Clement, and uh, I can I, I just anytime I can see him, he's he's a guy I want to I want to catch on catch up with. So absolutely Very much looking forward to it. It's got him, Regina Hall, uh, Jessica Williams, Stephanie Allen, and uh, yeah, it uh, it, uh, it opens August fourteenth. I don't know if it's going to be a wide release, but it does look like something that everybody should go out and check. I agree. Uh, my film this week is, uh, Mississippi Grind. A trailer came out just a couple of weeks ago. I am, I'm pretty excited about this movie. I, uh, it really fits, uh, with my favorite kind of road movie. Uh, down in his luck, facing financial hardship, Gary, or Jerry, how do you say that? G-E-R-R-Y. That's going to be Jerry, right? Jerry with a yeah. G. Yeah, I think it's Jerry with a G. Jerry with a G teams up with his younger charismatic poker player, Curtis, in an attempt to change his luck. They go off on a road trip through the South to try to win back what has been lost. Stars Ryan Reynolds, uh, who obviously I like very much, uh, and Ben Mendelsohn, uh, who has been in a ton of stuff. Um, and uh, he's he really quite prolific. He was in Killing Them Softly, The Place Beyond the Pines, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Didn't see that one. Also, The Dark Knight. And uh, let's, let's, lest we forget my last guilty pleasure, Knowing. Yes, that's a great, great <laughs> connection, Andy. It, thanks for bringing that little bit of trauma up for it. <laughs> uh, but most exciting, he is also in uh, Star Wars anthology Rogue One, currently filming now. This is the non- a sequitur. <laughs> it's the non sequitur Star Wars film. No, it's the one that's not a part of the of the series, right? It's the character film. No, well, Rogue One is kind of almost a prequel, isn't it? Because it it takes place between Episode three and four, and it's kind of the the rebels and I'm assuming Princess Leia as they go trying to get you know steal you're the right. plans for the Death Star. You're right. This is this is one that is. You're right. They're trying to steal the plans for the Death Star. That's a great. That's good. I get, I'm getting them all confused now. There's so many of them. I know. It's they're making it hard on us. Uh, but this Ben Mendelsohn, he looks great as the desperate uh, poker player in this film. I thought it. I thought it looked like a, a really solid trailer. I'm very excited to see this. Uh, it was written and directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. I have seen really nothing that they have done. Uh, and they've done a few things. Yeah, half um, Nelson and Sugar are pretty big. Yeah, I haven't seen them, though. I mean, I did you sure. see them? I saw some of Half Nelson. I never quite made it through. Actually, I don't know if they... Uh, I think they wrote Half Nelson. They were, I believe, the, the team behind the writing of Half Nelson. Ryan Fleck then directed it. And then I think they co-directed Sugar. Sugar. Right. Um, which right. Uh, shot here in Phoenix. Oh, home turf. I almost worked on it. Super close. Did you see uh, It's Kind of a Funny Story? I didn't. I didn't. That one didn't... Uh, I don't know. It was one of those ones where it kind of looked okay, and then yeah. I w- just wasn't quite sure if it was worth my time, and I never got around to it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I didn't see it either. I, none of these things, and yet Mississippi Grind looks like a uh, looks like a film that would be right up my alley. So I'm very excited to see it. What do you think? I completely agree. It looks great. Uh, I think there's a, a nice chemistry between uh, Ben and Ryan that really comes through in the trailer. It has that desperate gambler vibe that can be really 
hard on me to watch at times when you watch somebody who's a, a addicted to gambling as they just keep going down the wrong road, making all the wrong decisions. Because you're and a desperate gambler? Because it just rings so true. That's right. <laughs> sad, man. That's really, uh, really uh, sad. Yes. yes. Sorry. Didn't mean to go there. <laughs> but no. <laughs> it was at the end, at the end of therapy. It's, it's, uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks for bringing up such a painful subject. (laughs) Too close to the heart. Uh, Well, this film uh, comes out September 25th, 2015. Yet another September movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stacking them up. September is going to be an expensive month. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. September kind of used to be a little bit of a January, but it seems like September is really picking up. There seems to be more and more good stuff to They've, find. They have run out of runway in uh, summertime with these big tentpole films, and I think it's. I think the season is growing. That's what. That's my theory. Yeah, I yep. think so. Yep. Uh, so, all right, Andy, Pete, if you wanted to buy a Sam Cooke album, where would you go? <laughs> Wreck a stove. <laughs> Prince. His new motion picture, Under the Cherry Moon. Feel the beat. Feel the heat. Under the Cherry Moon. All right, Andy, here we go. I, I don't know. I don't know where to begin. My guilty pleasure this year is, I think, uh, ranks as it, it wins a number of awards, starting with the guiltiest of all of the guilty pleasures we've done. But the list is long and distinguished from there. It is Under the Cherry Moon, written uh, by Becky Johnston, directed by Prince. This is his directorial debut. Uh, it stars Prince, Jerome Benton, Stephen Burkoff, Emmanuel Soleil, Alexandra Stewart. And in her film debut, Kristen Scott Thomas, the Dame Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah, I saw that. She's a dame now. Dame of the British Empire. All hoity-toity. Check it out. And she started in a Prince movie. That just proves (laughs) you can make it no matter where you begin. (laughs) Now, I, I know you're not a huge fan of this film. You do? <laughs> but you gave it on Letterboxd. You gave it half a star. Right. To which I replied, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there's a little love in this film. I, uh, I really gave it a half star because I couldn't give it a, a zero star. <laughs> uh, I, You know, when I watched this movie again, I, I watched it again several months ago um, when I was trying to figure out what what is my guilty pleasure going to be? Because again, we've, we've talked about this. I don't feel like I did it justice last year uh, with Buckaroo Banzai because I really don't feel that guilty about this, about that film. And so I watched it again and I, it is, it's not a, it's not a good movie. Um, And so then just uh, this morning, last night I started it again. This morning I watched it. I I finished it up and, and it it really hammered home how awful of a film this is. (laughs) It's a, it's a terrible it's a it's a terrible film. Uh, it's a it's a terrible script. Uh, it's it is difficult in in some sequences, uncomfortably difficult to watch the actors do the most banal things. Like they're not even doing uncomfortable things to watch. They're they're doing things like 
you know, walking together or talking, speaking, opening their mouths. It's uncomfortable because it's 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 bad. I I recognize that, and I kind of want to open, just open the floodgates and and let you know. I I know I know it's terrible, and yet, and yet, I find Prince doing a black and white sort of Art Deco themed uh, film set in Nice. Uh, it's sort of a dirty, rotten scoundrels vibe. Uh, I it, this hit me when I was at the height of my Prince fandom. I was regularly seeing him in concert. I it, I was a big fan of the music and of the whole uh, sort of industry that he spawned uh, around his music and around you know the revolution and Paisley Park. And this this film just it it sits very comfortably right in my heart i i watch it and i realize it's terrible and uh and i still i still smile and that i think is the definition for me of a guilty pleasure well good go ahead lay into it <laughs> i got we can we're going to talk more about the individual thing but i just want to get it out there I am really glad that you find pleasure in it. I mean, I don't want to take away anybody's pleasure that they find in anything. As long as there's something out there that somebody can attach to and enjoy, then then I think the art is working in some sense, right? Right. Right. So so I give you that. I say kudos to Prince for making this for the right people to enjoy. <laughs> You uh, and 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 yet I would say uh, this reading. I'm going to quote you to you uh, from your Letterboxd. And and for those of you who follow Andy on Letterboxd, uh, you would know Andy tends to write usually at a minimum a couple of sentences on his little reviews. And yet when you get to Under the Cherry Moon, it's a half star, and you say awful. Period. Just awful. Period. Yeah, so there's a couple sentences. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was a very painful film to watch. I had problems with all of the acting. I am surprised <laughs> that Kristen Scott Thomas has a career after this film. I'm so glad she does because I actually really really love her. I think she's an incredible actress and she does actually shine through as somebody who actually knows how to act. Prince, I mean, I en- I just watched Purple Rain for the first time uh I don't know, a few months ago. And I didn't really get into that film very much either. I mean, I've never been a Prince fan like you are. Um, I, I mean, I've never really been a Prince listener. I, I mean, I know kind of his hits and stuff, but that's really the extent of my uh, my world of Prince. I just, I don't know anything. I knew none of the songs in this film except for Kiss. That was the only song that I even recognized. You, in didn't, fact, know, I, you didn't know the title song, Under the Cherry I, Moon? No, and I had a hard time even pinpointing the songs because they were so soft and, and kind of background. And I, I feel like, gosh, where is all the music in this film? Like, it's so different from Purple Rain, yes. which is really a music film. This one, I just had a hard time trying to even find the music. I couldn't figure out why it was black and white. I thought there would be some logical reason. I thought, oh, it's kind of this Art Deco black and white film. It must be taking place in like the 30s or something. Nope. nope. It's actually modern or 1984 or 1986 uh, Nice. Okay, that's fine. I guess I just didn't really understand. I couldn't figure out the strange relationship between Prince and his I guess it's his brother. I didn't realize it was his brother until I was reading about it afterward. But 
But uh, Chris and Tricky seemed like gay lovers to me more than anything. And I, <laughs> I guess I couldn't figure them out at all. <laughs> when what, was it? What was it that confused you? Was it when Christopher it Tracy the... is taking a bath and, and Tricky <laughs> is throwing rose petals into the bath <laughs> while reading a newspaper or sitting right over I, him? Was it that was it? after that when 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 Christopher is going to get the phone because one of his his uh, many women, uh, Mrs. Wellington, is calling. And I can't remember if he's like falling or he's he's sitting down and Tricky like grabs him and like holds him and they like have this look in their eyes at each other yeah. like they're about to kiss and I'm like what is going on here? I totally couldn't figure it out. And then there's the really weird breathe off that they have a little yeah. later when they're kind of getting ready to fight and they're like they're trying to give each other the eye. Yeah, but they're like breathing at each other and it was so weird. So yeah. I, the story was very problematic. Um, it just, it was illogical. The weird, something about Prince that comes up in this film, I don't think it came up as much, if at all, in Purple Rain, which actually had quite a dark undertone, as I recall. This one had like these weird comedic moments, and it felt so um, unnatural to, to kind of ha- hit these little moments. Well, the, I, the I, problem, I think the central problem, and I don't want to steal your thunder or anything, but the central problem with most of the comedic moments is that they were uh, they were not comedic. No. It feels, well, and they I think They just what weren't it, funny. No, and I think what happens is it feels like exactly one of my biggest problems with watching Adam Sandler's films is it feels like he's taking all this money to go make a movie just so he can hang out and do wacky stuff with his friends and goof off. And this felt like Prince and Jerome Benton um, as Tricky basically making this movie and just doing wacky things because they're friends. And they're like, oh, this would be funny. Ha, 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 ha. And they do these weird things that just nobody else gets. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what it felt like to me. The the film was originally to be directed by Mary Lambert. Did you see that? She was uh, the, the director behind Pet Cemetery and uh, hmm, I missed uh, that. Urban Legends films. I mean, she's she's um, you know she's she's been around, still directing uh, a lot of TV movies um, and and a lot of TV and music videos. Uh, and she was originally slated to schedule this or to to. Uh, direct this film for Prince. He took over from her because and fired her uh, due to our very favorite creative differences. Mm. Uh, and because it was filming in Europe, uh, he didn't get in trouble by the Directors Guild because there's no, uh, there is uh, apparently, I did not know this, and you probably know this. If you are starring in a film in the United States, you can't f- fire the director and take over as a lead actor. Correct. I did not know that. That's a thing. That's a thing, yeah. So, you know, next time that comes up, I'm going to know. <laughs> uh, and so, I, you know, I, I find that uh, interesting, and I think it supports your, your thesis that, you know, hey, I'm just going to take over because it'll really be my show, my friends anyway. Right, exactly. And uh, uh, the, I don't know, I, I guess uh, the story is... It, I mean, it has kind of a, I don't want to call it a Romeo and Juliet vibe, but there's a little bit of the, the boy from the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, he's a gigolo, after all, who falls for this uh, rich girl who's going to inherit $50,000 um, when she marries this other guy. Um, and he kind of ends up falling in love with her. So it's kind of got that wrong side of the tracks, love connection sort of thing. Um 
And like you said, the and I, I was really watching for this because it kind of got me. It piqued my curiosity when you told me it's kind of a uh, a um, dirty rotten scoundrels sort of story. And there was just so little of that. I was actually quite disappointed that there wasn't more uh, scandal going on with these guys trying to swindle money from people. Yeah, that but... becomes such a parenthetical thing, right? It it exists a little bit in the beginning. Uh, you know, when we see he's been swindling this rich, obviously the woman in white. Uh, you know, well, is, is he, he actually her. swindling her, or is he just basically a gigolo and he's just making money off of her? I guess I'm a little confused by exact because he they talk about oh we're going to get all this money he wants to sleep with all the the women with all the money but it seems like all he's doing is really sleeping with them to get money from them yeah i you know i i guess that's a that's a fair question i'm i feel like i'm reading into based at the end of the movie and and this i think is a fundamental problem with the script right is that uh at the end of the movie the truth comes out when tricky comes out and says you know he's scamming you he wants you for the money and and uh you know she leaves and then suddenly i get that that sudden wash over me right all of the pieces suddenly fit together things i didn't know thought he was a gigolo turns out he's he, they're scamming um you know it it becomes more clear so it's it's sort of the gift of that one sequence but it doesn't build from anything right yeah, there's no right. sense of scandal there's no sense of intrigue there's no sense of of sort of the heist uh, right. That you want from a film like this, even though that's a that's a central. I mean, that's it's a central theme of the story. It's how people talk about the story, right? Right. So yeah. Um, so Prince, I I don't want to spend a lot of time on on this element, but for me, one of the hardest things to watch in the film, and and this is the thing that makes me actually avert my eyes, <laughs> is watching Prince kiss. Oh my god! I was totally going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so uncomfortable i felt i really i felt it took me so far out of the film that i i found myself like pulling you know that thing where you put your hands over your head and you start pulling your hair a little bit like a stress pull do you do that it's like you pull your hair out of your head because it's so uncomfortable for Kristen scott thomas like how i i can't i can't believe that she, that she did that and didn't just walk off set because that it was a horrifying experience it looked awful it did look awful. I wrote on my notes, disgusting kissed her. Why does she seem so horribly awkward with him? Or is it just that he's awkward? Oh, my God, he's <laughs> awful. And, and they kept doing such close-ups. But the, this this film is such an ego film for him, right? I mean, you can tell by the very first uh, the, the very first uh, sequence after the, the opening when he's at home. He's in bed. He's laying on his stomach writing his poetry. <laughs> and the camera lingers on his uh his like bejeweled form fitting pants and glides up his body right so glides up the curve of his butt onto his back and his backless outfit you know as he's leaning like a like you know it's like a teen on bed writing in her diary well this is time it's prince right <laughs> And he has sort of a diminutive figure, and so it's just a very, very strange ego pan that it, it just starts you off in, as a viewer in kind of an uncomfortable relationship with with your protagonist. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to make you uncomfortable talking about it. I will say, Christy Scott Thomas has a great quote. Uh, from 2005, where she said, when I left drama school, I was more afraid of not working at all than of the actual material I was being offered. And if you look at my very first film, you understand exactly what I mean. 
<laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. So did you do you know any reason as to why he decided to because they filmed this in color i read but do, do you know why he decided to make it black and white do you I don't. is there anything any huh i don't and i was curious about that too i have no idea why they made it black and white and i we always had the, you know my friends and i when we first saw this film and and originally kind of fell for it um we always thought and knowing prince it was always back to that piano on a cliff like there is that in incredible view of that piano that really they don't use uh, right. it just looks like a fun place to go play a piano it looks though. like a great place to play a piano not to maintain a piano which is notoriously <laughs> sensitive to things like ocean and sea air and salt and things like that but it's cool in the film that that looks so good in black and white that uh that he probably just said let's just do the whole film in black and white it makes me wonder because Michael Bauhaus shot it, and he's a fantastic DP. Yes. I mean, he's been working. I mean, he started with uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder back in the seventies, and then when he came over here, he started working with John Sayles and James Foley and Martin Scorsese. I mean, he's big Martin Scorsese guy. He did. Uh, I mean, he's done tons of Martin Scorsese films, and interestingly enough, he also did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it's uh, he's got a huge list of films. I mean, he's a very impressive cinematographer. It makes me wonder um, how the film looks in color. And it makes me wonder what he thought of the black and white decision or if he was a part of that decision. I don't know. And you know what? I actually, when I saw that, I looked for it. He's He is, you're right. I mean, his, my goodness, his list of credits are, it's stunning i mean he's done some incredible films some of my very favorites and you talk about great music movies uh I, the fabulous baker boys he did and i love mm. the fabulous baker boys uh, yeah. and and you know because i thought the way he captured kind of intimacy particularly with a piano was really great and i think that's one of the things out of purple rain that i think they don't give enough credit to to prince is just his uh you know his facility with these instruments when he sits down and first starts playing purple rain on the piano uh in the basement um, I, I think there is. It, it leads me to really want to see more of that kind of music making in this film. And you're right; there really wasn't the soundtrack to the film, which I also really like. I mean, I, I it, it's an album I can I can really listen to. Um, the music from Under the Cherry Moon. Uh, it is really underplayed, with the exception of a few songs. Uh, you know, the dance number and and. Um, you know, it's just it's just really underplayed. You don't get a sense to really show off how the camera can interact with music in this film. And I think that's a real shame. When he writes catchy earworm songs, they can be really great songs. And I just, I mean, I, Kiss is one of those songs and it's in this film, but none of the other songs... I, I I don't know. I just I guess I didn't hear them well enough to even be able to tell if it's something that I would even like or not. They just seemed so background, and um, and so I just had a hard time really kind of getting into anything music wise with it. And I mean that's something with Prince is is I do like the the way that music was so integral to the plot of Purple Rain. And how uh, the whole thing with his father and 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 uh, just looking at through all of the music that his father had in the basement, and that uh, how that led to him finding Purple Rain, kind of like you were saying, I I really liked that element of the story and how he finally came to that song and and, and 
toning down his ego to listen to what these girls were doing and everything. This just didn't have that. I mean, it didn't have any, there was no connection to the music. And so for a Prince movie, I really expected much more music in the forefront of the film. Well, let me, let me tell you, let me get your sense of this. So the album is actually called Parade music from the motion picture under the cherry moon. Mm -hmm. The album was released March 24th, 1986. Right. So the film was released July 4th, 1986. Right. So I I think my experience with the music was probably very different from, from yours. Having never listened to the album, I was introduced to the music and knew every song inside and out after three months of playing it before the movie even hit. Right. And, and that, I think, changes the dynamic of your relationship with the music. For me, it certainly did, because I went in uh, understanding how the songs kind of played together and understanding where... I mean, because there are some wonderful, beautiful instrumental pieces on Parade uh, that that are really, uh, I think, leveraged pretty well in the film that sound like score material, but they're actually... I mean, they're songs that he released as part of Parade that I think you miss. I mean, I think to your point, you you miss the connection with the music at all uh, because it doesn't integrate very well with the story. Exactly. I mean, in my notes, I wrote, you know, finally a good song, Kiss. <laughs> it's like, because I, I didn't hear, like there was nothing that I could even connect to music-wise through anything else going on in the film. I mean, he plays around on the piano and he does a little few things here, but nothing that I recognize. So I, I couldn't connect to anything in the film. And and I think that actually there are some songs on here that are in in terms of his catalog of music, there are some songs on here that I think are are some of his very best be, besides Kiss, um, and you know he's got a very fairly vast catalog. So yeah, he's I mean he's a very uh, a very busy man. He's done a lot of albums under all sorts of different names and and with different groups. Um, and so, I mean, I think that he's, I think that he is a very talented individual. Um, he strikes me as kind of a Madonna sort of personality. You know, they're very big into their art and they're over the top and they are demanding and they kind of do what they want. And Madonna has made a lot of fumbles in her career and she has certainly made a lot of really bad movies in her career. <laughs> um, but she keeps cranking them out and same thing with him. So, I mean, I think uh, more power to him. And if he gets a chance to do stuff like this, then then great. It's just it just doesn't mean that it's going to be a very good end product. Um, the uh, Becky Johnston, you know, we brought up just briefly what she has written. I think it, she just is a a fascinating uh, set, a very small set of films uh, that she has written. She, her first screenplay was Under the Cherry Moon. Then she went on, I guess, to do script cleanup for Pat Conroy on Prince of Tides. Uh, and then... Uh, but then she ended up with credit on that. Like she, actual, she got credit, right. Yeah, she got yeah. credit on that. It's not like she was a script cleanup uncredited No, no, no. And, and actually, what, I mean, yeah. Because I don't think Pat Conroy I, uh, is... I mean, he's... Who's the, who, I mean, he wrote the novel. He wrote is, the no- yeah. He's He is first and foremost a novelist. I don't... Yeah. I, you know, in terms of screenplay credit, um, you know, he's not... He does not have. I think that's the one that he's got. Yeah. Um, I guess he wrote the a tel, a, the teleplay for a TV movie, Unconquered. Uh, but the rest is just the novels for you know Great Santini and Lords of Discipline and uh, 
Anyway, um, so back to to Tibet. So she did that, and then she went on to do um, Seven Years in Tibet. And I find that journey really interesting, going from Under the Cherry Moon to Brad Pitt, Seven Years in Tibet. How does that happen? I that it's so strange to me. It's such a, a wild uh, difference in. I mean, the last two feel like they fit. This is one of those one of these things is not like the others mm-hmm. sort of thing. And Under the Cherry Moon is the one that definitely doesn't fit. The other two are big, heavy, uh, overly dramatic, uh, Oscar bait t- sorts of scripts. Mm-hmm. And, and then her next film, uh, she's joining uh, Kurt Wimmer on Salt Two. Uh, and he wrote uh, Salt, the first Salt with Angelina Jolie. Well, and she did another movie in uh, 2012 called Arthur Newman with uh, Colin Firth and Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. A story of a man who fakes his own death and assumes a new identity in order to escape his life, who then moves in with a woman who's also trying to leave her past behind. Never heard of it. Not very high star rating on IMDb. So, uh, you know, I don't know if there's much to it. But yeah, Salt 2. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with that one. Because, I mean, I enjoyed the first one. It didn't knock my socks off or anything. But Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting writing career. I will give you that for yeah. sure. Um, it, yeah, the, yeah, it surprised me. So, uh, okay, so Jerome Benton. You, didn't, you weren't so crazy about Tricky? Were there any... <laughs> well, and let me back up. Before I ask about a specific character, were there any characters in this film that gave you a chuckle? That anybody that... Ga- that there was there any redeeming value in any sequence that, that made you smile? I don't recall. I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, there, there probably was a line that Tricky had. I feel like there was a line <laughs> that either Tricky said or that Prince said about Tricky's name. And does that ring a bell? Is there a line like someone says, oh, that's because he's so tricky. Or I can't remember what it is, but there's something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I actually, I actually, I actually don't mind Tricky. I don't mind Jerome Benton as Tricky. I just think the problem is that he has to interact with Prince in the film. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the big problem. I, I think he's actually kind of an interesting person to watch on screen. He actually has good screen presence. And um, even though he's not like the greatest actor, he is an interesting one to watch. And I think he he's vastly superior to Prince, who I, I really have a problem watching Prince. I just don't feel like he's n- he's not meant to act. I don't just don't think he's meant to act. <laughs> he uh, Jerome Benton is an, is an interesting guy. And I... I um... It bums me out that he's because I, I think you're right. I think he's he's in the wrong place in uh, in this film. But you know he's very close to Prince. He was part of uh, you know part of his band that um, the family I think that that came out it came around after uh, the revolution and he has been in he was in Purple Rain. Uh, he was originally a part of Morris Day and the time he worked behind the scenes. Uh, kind of backstage crew for Morris Day, and and one day on the show, uh, during a show, uh, Morris Day says, you know, somebody bring me a mirror, and uh, Jerome Benton goes to the bathroom, rips the mirror off the wall, and runs out on stage, and holds it up so that Morris Day can can do his hair, and that's that is what really launched 
Jerome Benton as a, a musical character. He was the kind of a comedic dance partner um, doing these kind of goofs with Morris Day when Morris Day was with the time. And they were always playing with Prince. They're, they're, the um, uh, graffiti bridge is, is um, uh, very much sort of recaps that. Uh, that re- or showcases some of that relationship, and um, under the Cherry Moon, it's kind of a it's kind of anomalous to see just these two guys, right? You don't get the bands that Prince is sort of known for cultivating, but uh, and I think that takes Jerome kind of out of his out of his element, and I I really liked that. Uh, as much as I didn't like Prince out of his element, I really liked seeing Jerome Benton out of his element because he was the highlight, of the comedic kind of highlight of the film for me, even this most recent viewing. Not a great script, but I just like his face. I like watching mm-hmm. him, you know, I like watching him act. And, and uh, as, you know, not a great actor, but one with promise. And I, I wish we had seen him do more uh, over the subsequent years. He's just been essentially silent. Well, he probably is only acting when it comes to Prince's sort of stuff. I right, mean, right. That's, yeah. So I, he I was mean, in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, but it was part of, you know, Jerome Benton as the time. Uh, uh-huh. He did, uh, he did um, a TV series in Eve, uh, Boom Crew, a TV series in 2004. Um, but it's just, you know, a handful of credits. Right, right, right. Uh, which is too bad because I think he's, he's a funny character guy. He is. I mean, I remember enjoying him because he's he's uh, in Purple Rain. He's Morris Day's like uh, like assistant or right. Or that's his, his right hand man. That's his role, right? Yeah, and and I liked him. I liked that duo in Purple Rain. There, I I connected with them more, and so I I do like him. And I think you're right. He's he's somebody. Who, there's something about him that you can kind of connect with a little bit. And so, yes, I would say him and Kristen Scott Thomas. And actually, I mean, I do enjoy Stephen Burkoff as her father. I mean, he's <laughs> casting him as a father. Just you know that he's going to be a bad guy. Yeah. Because I mean, geez, he was General Orloff in Octopussy. He was <laughs> he was uh, uh, Maitland in Beverly Hills Cop. He was uh, in Rambo. You know, he's just one of these guys. He's just like got this evil look, and he just like. He carries it off really, really well. He was Froda. He was Dirk Froda and the girl with the dragon tattoo. Um, I mean, he's he is, and, and I really like him, and that's why I'm so surprised to see him every time I turn this film uh, on because he's just completely out of the blue uh, that you would even see him. Apparently, it was very much of a last minute uh, casting decision. The actor who um, uh, was originally slated to play uh, this the role of the father. Uh, left a few weeks into shooting. I don't know who that actor was. This seemed to be uh, casting problems all around because I also read that Kristen Scott Thomas was a replacement. Um, that that's it was actually, that's actually a better to be story, too. Susanna Mel... Is it Melvoin? Melvoin, yeah. Yeah, she was a sister of Revolution member Wendy Melvoin and Prince's girlfriend at the time. She was supposed to play Mary Sharon, but she just was such a bad actress that uh, they had to replace her and Kristen Scott Thomas came along. Uh, the, uh, Wendy Melvoin, uh, Wendy and Lisa, the duo, Wendy and Lisa. So they were both in the revolution and then they spun off as the, the duo, Wendy and Lisa. And they, um, they have been really quite prolific. Uh, they, and, and are great, uh, band in their own rights. They actually did the, uh, they did the original music for, uh, the TV show Heroes. Um, oh. they, they uh, did the, the music for Touch. 
Um, they've and so they've been they've been uh, working. Uh, I think they do some great stuff. Uh, they do. They're most well known, I think, for their role on Prince and the Revolution uh, in uh, Purple Rain. Right, because they're the yes, two Lisa. that kind of is the water warm enough? Yes, Lisa. Shall we begin? <laughs> yes, Lisa. I could go on. Because they're the ones who <laughs> come up with Purple Rain, right? It's yeah. their their song, right? Yeah. Right. So, uh, you can learn about them at wendyandlisa.com. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, Chris and Scott Thomas, obviously, uh, I I think she's delightful just to watch in this as she navigates her way through it. I like just watching her act. She's very, she is charming and and uh, funny working through a terrible script. Well, it's just so funny. You, I, I just really couldn't figure out what to expect from her or the film. Yeah. When the very first thing <laughs> that she does is she runs out, and it's her birthday party or something. The worst line in the film, possibly. Hey, everybody, what do you think of my new birthday suit? And she's like, she's <laughs> <laughs> just wearing a sheet, and she just rips it off. It's like, wow, okay. Yeah. Not sure where to where this is going. Well, and then she goes and gets up in the band and plays the drums. Right. With a sheet wrapped around her. In her toga. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not like it, what I couldn't figure out. And this is, I think, plagues the entire film. These kinds of non-committal sequences, right? It would be fine. It would really be fine if she came out and delivered a line about, like, the birthday suit. And somehow there were some repercussions to that, right? Right, right. We, we get the feeling... There, there's sort of this sense that she's doing it because her she has a disapproving father, right? Right. Her father isn't even there. Right. That's the whole point of this big party. He's he's essentially buying off her allegiance and didn't show up to the party, so he doesn't even there. He's not even there to be embarrassed by his daughter who's showing up and and ripping off her clothes. So that level of just sort of. Here's here's a gag, and we're not going to completely commit to it. It's going to fizzle out in about thirty five seconds, and we're going to move on to the next one that we will not for, not commit to. It plagues this film. Every scene is full of these kinds, uh, these sorts of elements, and it, it gets pretty frustrating toward the end when when you see the movie trying desperately to give you some sort of a payoff that it hasn't earned at all. No, that last scene, I actually went back and watched it twice because I'm like, did I did I fall asleep during something in here yeah. and, and just miss an element that happened because from the moment, well, cause he's get, he's on the boat and then he gets off and she's running down and tricky and his girlfriend are coming down and they're all kind of converging. And then of course he gets shot the big dramatic moment. And, and, and then that's essentially it. I mean, you've got a few little uh, bits after that between her and Tricky and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I felt like I missed something in all of that. Yeah. I'm like, what what happened here? I just well, there couldn't... are two. It does. It feels like there was something that was cut out because, A, he didn't earn the bullet, right? I mean, he didn't earn being shot. And, B, <laughs> Tricky, how did Tricky get there, right? Because yeah, Tricky, well... <laughs> Tricky was up on the—he was with Prince up on the, the dock— Right, and then Prince went a different direction, got a boat, and arrived down at the beach. And Tricky arrived at Mary faster than Prince did. Right? How did? How, wh- that's like that. 
That has plagued right. me for 15 years. That is that is a ridiculous <laughs> continuity uh, thing that should have been resolved. 15 years, God, 25 years. This is this is one of those films that is evidence that not everybody can direct a film. And Prince really should have stepped back and just let Mary direct it or find somebody else to helm it who knew how to direct and tell a story. And they probably should have had somebody come in and fix the script because it was just like we've said, it's plagued with problems. Plagued with problems. But sometimes when a person latches on to something that they like, they see it... uh, and they don't see the problems. And it's clear that Prince just didn't see any of the problems with this film. He just saw a very artistic, touching poem is kind of my impression of what he was trying to do here. It, it You know, kind of this poetic sort of film that he was making. And, I mean, there you know, there is one shot that I actually was like, oh, that's an interesting way to kind of play that. There's a, um, I think it's when uh, when Chris and Mary are, um, I can't remember if it's when they're making love for the first time or something like that, but there's that moment where, I can't remember where they are, but you've got this interesting composite shot where we we see the wide shot of them as they're down below making love. And then it composites a close-up of her hand as we see her kind of moving. And then the hand kind of stops and it looks almost like she's holding them as they're making love. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know exactly. They're at the grotto. They're right, in the okay, rocks. Yeah. And there are the, there's the flame. And he is he is trying to somehow uh, swallow her head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yes. you're right. He's kind of her hand is up, and he's kind of gripping her hand, and it's such a very slow, slow, slow transition. Right. Into it the looks. Fire. It, it looks like that she's kind of holding them. Yeah, you're right. You're uh, right. And I was like, okay, well, that's an interesting thing that he's doing here. So I mean, at least I could tell there's somebody who is an artist behind it. It's just I don't think he knows how to properly put an actual story together. <laughs> Yeah. The what's better though is and I'm I'm looking at that shot right now. I'm just scrubbed through to it and the look on her face well, it's probably similar to the look that's on your face while you watch this film. It is <laughs> it is frustrated and bored or or maybe slightly drugged. <laughs> it's not that's good. Fantastic. She's not enjoying herself. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh all right. Um the I, I think that the last bit of just kind of quick review is the the uh, to finish off the list of people who are in this film um that surprise me mm-hmm. right uh francesca francesca anis and mm-hmm. alexandra stewart so francesca anis is mrs uh, mrs wellington uh she was the the lady the lady in white mm-hmm and, and um and she's got a pretty decent filmography. She's got quite a filmography. Um and and I I originally didn't I I couldn't tell what what I had seen of her. She's done so much television. Uh but uh she early on um was in a, a whole slew of films including uh, she did the the original uh TV Dune in 1984 right before this film. Not the TV Dune. It was uh, David Lynch's Dune. I mean, Dune. David Lynch's Dune. Right, right, right. Not right. the sci-fi Dune. 
Right. Yeah. She did that, and she did Crawl right before that. So, which was I think, another. That's that is that's also on my short list of guilty pleasures. Ironically enough, I I would have said that, and except that I'd watched it fairly recently, I'm like, mm, wow, there really isn't anything good to watch in this film. <laughs> so it fell quickly off of my guilty pleasures list. That's funny. It's only for the it's only for the thing, for the 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 actual star. Oh yes, that's well, why that you watch is, it. That is still cool. That is yeah. still cool. Still yeah. cool. Uh, so Francesca Annis, you know, especially because I actually I liked Dune. It was really long, and weird, overwrought, yeah. and weird. But I actually liked it. And she, you know, as Lady Jessica, it was interesting to see her go from that to this. <laughs> um, uh, we have uh, uh, let's see who else was interesting. Alexandra Stewart uh, is known for. Uh, she also has a, a significant um, uh, list of credits. 142 credits again. A lot of TV, uh, but uh, and a lot of French stuff. Yeah, uh, that I have not seen. But she's she's very active and and still working today i was actually surprised looking at kristen scott thomas's filmography how many french projects she had especially early early in her career i mean i knew that she's like living in france now and so she's doing all sorts of french projects now i mean i've loved you so long from about uh, seven years ago is a fantastic french film that she did um and uh the woman in the fifth we talked about uh the trailer for that a, a couple years ago because that was yet another ethan hawk film and uh filmed in france right so she really does seem to be kind of a, a somebody who does a lot of french projects but early on in her career i'm like man she was she was doing it then too yeah, that's true. Boy, I mean, she comes from pretty much from under the cherry moon. I mean, she has just a handful of films through the late '80s, and then she's then she's into French. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, she is really. I mean, she's she's a delight to just watch, and even in a terrible movie, she's a delight to watch. Even if she's, I mean, just you know, mute it, whatever. But she's she's. She is, she is she is always charming yes. i you know the the one that I always have trouble with is emmanuel Saleh. she plays katie the the uh, hotel or the the like apartment um manager and she's been in nothing and she just disappeared right she did this film I think she is adorable and uh, was started looking for what else has she been in she was in the perils of Gwendoline Gwendoline in the land of the yik yak uh, right before my, Under the Cherry my Moon. My personal favorite. <laughs> uh, it, right. Uh, and when you look at the cover, you can see this is uh, this is fantastic. Gwendolyn arrives in China in a box and is helped out of her immediate predicament by a female contact and a devil-may-care adventurer on a mission to find her father. Uh, stars Tawny Katane, Brent Huff, and Zabu Brightman. And of course, you know Tawny Katane. Am Bachelor I right? party, baby. <laughs> I like the cover. It says Barbarella meets Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Adventure without shame. Pete, so why aren't we doing this in one of our series? That is what we should be doing. Goodness. <laughs> the perils of Gwendolyn in the land in of the, the yik yak. Uh, <laughs> so that was a frustrating thing, a fr- frustrating non find. I don't know where she went. I even went to the Prince message boards, and there is a rich discussion about Emmanuel Sale from back in 2007 8 when somebody else tried to find her. And they found some uh, just really um, apparently uh, awful video of her 
saying some awful things about, I guess, Prince. I'm not sure, but it was, uh, but I couldn't find the actual source video they were talking about. So that bummed me out. Hmm. Uh, did you did you note uh, Victor Spinetti? I don't know if I did. Who he was he, he was one of the three kind of leches at the bar that always kind of showed up. Um, he has been in a bunch of stuff, uh, a, a lot of, uh, voice work. He was in, he was in, uh, you might've, he might look familiar in Help, 1965, Hard Day's Night, 1964 is big around the Beatles. Um, and, um, he was actually in Return of the Pink Panther. Uh, hmm. but he's got, uh, 72 credits to him and, uh, was very active until he died in 2012. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, any, okay. I think, I agree. You put a fork in it. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anybody else that I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it. <laughs> I, um, all right. Then I, I, I guess we should, did, did you happen to, to see how it did? I did. I did, did you? Cause this I, film, it didn't do yeah. that well. It did better than volunteers though. <laughs> <laughs> I give the, that credit probably to Prince's following. Um, I don't think Tom Hanks had quite the following at that point in his no. career. This film cost $12 million to make, which adjusted for today's dollars is about $25.5 million. And it uh, made just over $10 million, which adjusted is about $21.5 million. So it ended up losing money at the box office at a rate of about $40,000 per finished minute. So it's uh, in our list of stinkers. So not as <laughs> much of a stinker as others, right? That's right. Still, but uh, Baron Munchausen is still <laughs> at the bottom. And it actually made more money, or, or I should say it lost less money per finished minute than Buckaroo Bonsai did. <laughs> Lost less money per fishman than Buckaroo. See, now that is a shame. <laughs> I would like to say of all of the guilty pleasures, mine knowing is the only one that actually made money. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Let's rank oh, it. Let's do it. All right. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. Uh, click on our list of movies and then click several pages to get all the way to the end. And then you'll see where this one ends up. <laughs> oh, I don't want to. I don't right, want to. Oh. I don't want people to think I can read the future. But let's just say. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, right out of the gate, I will tell you, Pete. I would watch Rush first. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to rock paper scissors because I definitely would not watch Rush first. <laughs> All right, well let's see let's see if it ends up in the bottom 5. <laughs> I could sense a new shirt for this year. <laughs> oh, I don't think anyone would want that shirt. <laughs> All right, where do we start? All right, we are going to be starting with Prince Under the Cherry Moon. You're going to have to not say it like that cuz that just makes it hard to even listen to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Under the Cherry Moon. <laughs> Or, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes, indeed. Under the Cherry Moon or The Sandlot. Definitely The Sandlot. The Sandlot, yeah. Under the Cherry Moon or Major League? 
in Major League. Major League. See, I'm not blind to this. You're to not. The issues. I, I'm, I'm really, really not. impressed. I'm really impressed with you, Pete. Uh, I I find myself much more defensive of my guilty pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, under the cherry moon or the dead zone? The dead zone. Yes, under the cherry moon or alien resurrection. <laughs> Alien Resurrection. <laughs> Boy, it's fallen. It is fallen it's fast. Really fallen fast. Uh, Under the Cherry Moon or Pritzy's Honor? Oh, yeah. yeah Pritzy's Honor. All right. Under the Cherry Moon or Rush? <laughs> Under the Cherry Moon. And here I would pick Rush. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. in the fantasy land, where these are the only two movies... And you and I are stuck in front of the only television. We would have to do rock, paper, scissors. We absolutely would. Here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. One, One two, two, three. Scissors. Rock. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pete. Now I feel oh. guilty. Oh man, that hurts more than any of the others that we've that we've done. I'm that sorry. Is the, that is the most painful that we've ever done. I oh. feel guilty. Would you like me to reverse that and make it not the last place? Man, I'll happily do that no, for you. I now you, I, now, no, I, now I hurt. That would for not. You. That would not be right. And <laughs> I want you to go to sleep with that feeling of pain. <laughs> oh yes. I will. I will hold that pain uh, for life. Luckily, uh, predestination that made up for uh, all the the damage that this has just done to our relationship. Oh, jeez, I feel oh. empty inside and cold. <laughs> wow. Oh, Pete. Pete. Well, I'm so sorry. Andy, I'm I, so thank sorry. you for indulging me. This is, as always, the guilty pleasure series. You know, I'm already starting to look forward to next year's guilty pleasure series. Uh, I'm not sure what else we can find. Oh, oh it's going uh, well, to start getting really painful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can, can would you just tell me real quick what just the other films this year that you vetoed as your guilty pleasures that you're that you didn't do? Can you name two or three of them that were interesting? You know, I was really struggling trying to find guilty pleasures this year for some year I, for some reason. I was going through bad movies or you know films generally rated poorly by the crowds trying to find ones that i actually liked and it wasn't until i was getting up into like the 50 percentish area that i started finding some i'm like well i don't feel that guilty about that one i mean swamp thing was one that came to mind and uh, then i watched it again i'm like eh, no this is just a bad movie i don't actually like it anymore um and i think that's the problem is is the films that i find as guilty pleasures tend to be things that if I watch them again, I I find myself not liking them anymore. And uh, I think that's why I ended up falling to Tom Hanks, because I know he did a lot of really bad movies in the 80s. Um, so others in my list, I suppose, would be um, The Man with One Red Shoe, which is one of my favorites of his. And while not anything near any of my favorites, uh, Bachelor Party or Dragnet, those probably could have ended up in there too. Hmm. 
Yeah. I, uh, you know, for me, uh, I, I was really latching on to, and, and I should add, Krull, I think, was also on my list for a while because of that thing. But I also had like Dragon Slayer on there. And, um, but the one that I was, I was, it was like a coin toss away uh, between that and, and this one was Phantasm. Uh, oh, that's actually kind of a cool little movie. That was the problem that I remember it, feeling guilty about it. But I, then I started looking at it again. I was like, "Wow, that's that was a fun little uh, little horror romp." And I love that little gadget. I don't feel all that guilty about that. And there are a lot of people who really, really like that movie. So, um, so I let that one go. And it spawned a number of a number of sequels. And and that guy, man, creepy guy. No. Oh. Creepy old man, super yeah. creepy. So I, I, you know, it's the same problem as you had, though. I mean, it's like you, you the the films that you feel guilty about, uh, either they really, or there's a reason they're so bad, like Under the Cherry Moon, uh, or uh, they're really not as bad as you remember. They're no rush. Yeah. Like I said on last week's show, I mean, it's it, it seems to be films that hit you at a certain point in your life. So I think there's a narrow window to latch on to things that are guilty pleasures. Yeah. And I, I think that, it, you know, you uh, just researching this film in particular, Under, Under the Cherry Moon, really landed that connection for me. The fact that I had such a connection with Prince's music and that this film became just another vessel to experience the music is why I have it as a guilty pleasure. Um, and, and, and I'm able to look past the fact that it is a, a horrendously terrible film. Uh, sure. If you don't have that. And so I, you know, I recognize that. And that's, that's why it lives in canon of guilty pleasure canon for me. So I can't gotcha. wait to try and it's a fight. It's a fight that takes a whole year of planning to come up with a really good guilty pleasure. It really is. It, it's, it's becoming quite the struggle. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what we come up with the next year. <laughs> All right. Well, Andy, thank you uh, for indulging me as always. Hey, yeah. You know, what we, do, you know, what we need to do. I do. I do. Our, well done. Our, yeah. Our new little uh, tradition. <laughs> Which we need to try to remember. Starting this tradition, really starting it with this film is is sad. <laughs> yes, I suppose. Yes, this is uh, uh, the letterboxed review or letterbox rating. Right. So, what is the new part? Because we've we've talked about letterbox occasionally. So, what are you doing different? Well, on Letterboxd, we're going to actually, I mean, typically what we do is we put kind of our little write-up on the review for Letterboxd, but now we're also going to include each of our star ratings. In the past, what we've always done is just taken our two star ratings and then averaged it out to come up with what we give it as the star rating. But now we're actually going to put each of our star ratings so people can see, oh, well, Pete clearly liked it more than Andy did. (laughs) (laughs) This is our effort to... What is this an effort to do? Is this transparency in voting, or are you just trying to abdicate yourself when you don't agree with me or the film board group? I just think it's I think it's a little more fun. I think people can really kind of get a better sense that it really is kind of a group, that, that yeah. there are a lot of little opinions going into all of our discussions and our thoughts about all of the projects that we're talking about. Absolutely. I think it's a great idea, and I, uh, I'm going to give this one one star. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to give it zero, so we'll 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 leave it at the half star that I ranked it myself. <laughs> oh man! I'm sorry. I feel so guilty. You're making me I love guilty it. about I love your it. guilty pleasure. That that there could not in my book there could not be a better outcome than you feeling guilty about my guilty pleasure film. That's great. <laughs> oh, too funny. Thanks, Andy. I got to go to bed. All right, I am going to uh, watch <laughs> an Adam Sandler film to cleanse my palate. <laughs> Hang on.
the tickets to Pixels. The midnight <laughs> showing. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that this actually has an average of 4.2, Andy, when we just gave it a half star. Uh, it's it's not a good movie, and I'm picking a one star that actually uh, supports it. Uh, and it's... I'll, I'll abbreviate this one a little bit. Uh, okay, I saw this movie. It was relatively what I call a time bandit. It robbed me of two hours of my life that I will never get back. The most memorable parts of the movie were the popcorn I ate, uh, which was pretty good. It was buttery. Uh, the other good memory, it was the prince death scene. Yes, yes, he was killed, and not a moment too soon. I actually laughed at this part because it was so poorly acted and over-animated. I was like, Eureka, it's a comedy. It's a bad one, but it's a comedy, and it's over. Yes! Do yourself a favor. Keep whatever money you were going to spend on this movie and ball it up and throw it down the street for a hobo. Believe me, you'll feel better about doing that than spending the money on this. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Give, Fantastic. give your prince money to a hobo. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I am actually going to do a four star by Name Piece, who says it's no Casablanca, but it's funny, funky, campy fun. So, Under the Cherry Moon is a sinfully self indulgent movie built around a self indulgent, narcissistic, but supremely talented and charismatic star. That being said, it's a thoroughly enjoyable movie, particularly for loyal Prince fans like myself. The cinematography of this movie is more beautiful with each viewing. It's also very funny, most times where it's supposed to be. Prince and Jerome Benton have very good comic timing at certain spots, like when they're staring dreamily into each other's eyes. <laughs> and some great lines emerge. Who didn't laugh when Tricky said he'd slap the waves out Chris's head? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> Prince and Chris and Scott Thomas do have decent ke- chemistry. Scott Thomas does her best with a limited role, and she demonstrates the appeal that led to better roles down the line. The movie only lags when it tries to get too serious, but it, it has always been an overall delight. Last but certainly not least, the score and the soundtrack are incredible. The soundtrack parade is a groundbreaking, albeit underappreciated, LP of avant-garde funk and provides the thematic backbone for the movie. I can't wait for the DVD. A modified version of my prior review. I like how Namepiece <laughs> gave us that. Uh, this was from a VHS review that uh, Namepiece watched in 2002. I didn't know v- VHS tapes were still around in 2002. <laughs> Was it better on DVD? (laughs) Ah, thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. 
Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 